All right. Today's podcast is all about how do we step into business and create something that not only is special and impact in, in our calling, but actually lasts and has a potential to grow quickly because there's some things that I have found being at a huge company, being part of entrepreneurial startups, being my own everything as a solopreneur, and then having to grow a team and and now uh, actually leading um, a very large team. And we're going to be talking about exactly how to do that today with Richard Shaw. Richard, welcome to the podcast. It's an honor to be here, John. Oh, it's so great to have you. So a little bit about Richard. I like this. Uh, Chief Everything Officer. That's true. CEO. And as a solopreneur, you know, you have the ability to call yourself anything you want. Uh, founder, CEO, president. And but Richard has done this CEO for multiple businesses. And, and when you say it almost killed you, I know what that means, man. Just that level of burnout when you're trying to do everything. And here's also the problem is we also become a bottleneck. Even as a solopreneur, mm-hmm. you become a bottleneck to your success. Or if you're that point of command and control, you become a bottleneck for the rest of your team. And uh, the, the one thing that became clear to me as I uh, talked with Richard a few months ago is that your mission was just to make sure that other entrepreneurs didn't go through those same struggles that you did. And as you shared, I'm like, man, I totally get what you're talking about. It has absolutely been that frustration. So what your passion is, is pairing visionary entrepreneurs with an operations counterpart. And then how do you work together in tandem? And there is so much wisdom in what we're going to be talking about folks, whether you're at a a large company running your own team, whether you're the CEO of a big company or you're a solopreneur, we're going to hit on some things that's going to help every single one of you. And you know what? Uh, Here's where I'd like to start with, Richard. One of the things you shared with me and I'd asked you kind of what was the turning point in your journey? And that's when you knew, you know what, the future was going to be better, right? And hope came back in. And you said that's when God intervened and showed you the root of some of your leadership issues and also connected you to mentors. Can we start there and share a little bit? What was that aha moment for you? Yeah, I, I, um, I remember literally the day I walked into my home, shut the door, escaped into my office, curled up in a fetal position in the corner and cried out to God for help. And, you know, at the time I was running. What was making you cry out? Well, I was running two businesses at the same time and really failing at at both. Um, both had been successful in the past, but they'd grown to a point where I was not prepared to lead and manage them. So we we literally had, uh, we were in the midst of, we were embroiled in a lawsuit in one of my companies. Uh, we had key employees who had literally just resigned and walked out. We had investors threatening to pull funding. We were in the red uh, severely on several projects that we were we were building out on. A storm had gone through and done uh, about $240,000 of damage to our properties that our insurance company was denying the claims for. It was a mess. And, um, and all of that kind of hit um, around the same time. And so I remember just literally questioning in that moment, like, am I even an entrepreneur? Am I even a CEO? Like, how did I get here? And how did I get so out of my depth and out of my league? And do I really even have what it takes? And I'm really thankful. And I know you're a man of faith and this. Many of those who listen are that God just showed me incredible compassion that day and just spoke to my heart 
and uh, just started to very lovingly point me to the fact that like, Richard, what got you here will not get you there. Like the way you are leading now is not like, is not how I've designed you. And it's not even aligned with my principles. And, you know, just quite, you know, practically, I mean, I was a control freak. I was running all around. I thought I was the hero for everybody. I thought my ideas were all the best and uh, had just a lot of, you know, ego and pride. And I got humbled because of that. Pride goeth before a fall, I think they say. So, so in that moment, the Lord was just really gracious to me. And he pointed me to a couple things, right? One was my own leadership and defi- the deficiencies that I had and the weaknesses that I had very lovingly. And the other was he pointed me in the direction of some mentors that I actually had around me, but I wasn't leveraging well. And through that process, it really exposed that I had a missing link as a founder, CEO, and an entrepreneur. And it was this operations-minded second-in-command, this person who actually had the strengths where I was weak. Um, and so that obviously kind of led me to um, you know, what we do today and, and to some of the other things we'll talk about. But yeah, that was the aha moment for me. What got me here won't get me there. And what were those areas that were out of alignment? I think um, a couple things. So w- when you talk about an entrepreneur, right? There are certain things that entrepreneurs tend to possess. One of my theories, my hypotheses is that the making of an entrepreneur is actually partly rooted in trauma because entrepreneurs tend to have a chip on their shoulder. They tend to be very goal oriented and driven and not all of those things are bad, right? But they present fractures and problems as a company begins to grow. And I've I've actually kind of narrowed it down to four things that were flaws in my character that a lot of entrepreneurs share. I call it the four flaws of of an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial CEO. So I was impatient. I was impulsive. I was inconsistent and I was insecure, right? Impatient, impulsive, inconsistent, and insecure. You know, again, all of those things in the beginning of your company in a weird way, can almost seem to serve you. You're impatient, so you drive to get your, your product to market, your MVP to market faster. You know, you're, you're inconsistent, which some people would call you're adaptable, right? You just adapt to whatever's coming to you on the fly. You're impulsive, meaning you follow opportunities and trends as you spot them. You know, you're, you're insecure. You got a chip on your shoulder. You know, I'm going to prove to the world that this idea can work. All of those things can kind of seem to serve you, at least at a certain level. And we could probably debate the, the truthfulness of that. But once you start to step into leading and managing an organization and people, those flaws start to get exposed. And they certainly did for me in that period. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, you know, just the other day, after all the work that I've done on myself and my mindset and everything, as I've recovered from this accident about who I am and how I want to lead, I was able to get a ton done with my team and move things around. And, and I was uh, walking out of the office and I remember, and I said to myself, yeah, way to go, Ramstead. You are a force of nature, right? Cause I got, I got all this stuff done. And as soon as I said that it was like, God whispered, he goes, that's your pride talking. Mm. You are not leading from a place of humility because everything you just talked about. I was impatient with the results. I was impatient with how the team was working. I wanted to take quick action, which kind of left a couple people in the dust. And honestly, that place of, you know, even just saying to myself, I'm a force of nature. I think that that talks to a place of insecurity. That's not a place of 
confidence and partnering with God in how you're just showing up. And I, I think the way that you really need to show up is understand what my strengths are, what other people's strengths are, and bring that out. Because I, I really view my job as a leader is to help everybody around me succeed in their role. And they have to know what that role is. When you don't have that role, like operations and the and the visionary, mm. my gosh, it then uh, it just becomes this giant hairball that you're constantly trying to untangle. Mm. So true. So true. So with that, let me ask you a question. So is you, when you, you said you really hadn't tapped into your mentors much. Mm. So there was probably at some point you reached out to these mentors. And I know we have a, a lot of people listening and, you know, they've sought to find mentors, but when you started, just started to have this awareness, what was the conversations you had with some of your mentors? You know, I, I think it started with, being vulnerable. One of the things entrepreneurs are notorious for, and maybe all people do this to some extent, but we're eternal optimists and we typically don't like to be vulnerable. We want to present ourselves as invincible and kind of we're constantly selling everyone around us on how good things are. And some of that serves us well in sales, right? We can paint a picture of a desired future that isn't even real yet, but it also can harm us in regards to the people around us, not really even truly knowing how much we're struggling and therefore they can't help us. And this includes your team as well as your mentors. I just know for me, I was always painting a better picture of things than they truly were. And, and sometimes I just wasn't even honest with myself, much less others. And so the beginning of those conversations just really looked like getting honest and asking for help and really going, we're in a tough spot where cash flow is tight. You know, our, we're in the red investors are banging on our doors, you know, wondering where their money is. You know, we're, we're, we're navigating legal issues on multiple fronts and our team culture is a mess and it's starting to show in our retention. You know, I, it was honestly like drinking poison, <laughs> having to admit those things. It was like pulling teeth for somebody mm. like me, but it was, you know, I, I can't remember who said this, but he said, nothing can change until the unspoken is said. And I think that's where for a lot of entrepreneurs, even if you go, well, I don't have all the perfect mentors around me. Well, who do you have? Who can you go get honest with? Because I, I guarantee it will at least unlock some clarity for you, the process of getting honest with someone else. And you never know what resources are lying dormant in the people around you until you ask for help. Yeah, I love what you said. Nothing can change until the unspoken is said. And I think even going to people... Um, you know, as a coach, I get to work with so many executives and those are the places when we really start to make progress, right. And, and having those people in your life where you can just be, I think, real and vulnerable and, you know, and this too is no, you're not going to be judged. Mm. Cause I know this as the entrepreneur or the CEO in the past, I thought it was my role to have the answers, to have the strategy, to have the vision. And what I found was, is, you know what, there, and, and there's times like, wait, you know, these situations that you're talking about, I've been in those situations. Instead of trying to figure it out myself, when I just was real with the team going, guys, I don't know exactly what to do. When COVID hit and our business got just zeroed out, I didn't know what to do next. I had a couple ideas and I was praying about it, but I went to my whole team and I said, guys, I, I don't have an answer. What do you guys think? 
and all of a sudden, guess what? We just, man, we got real. We ended up having a, a two or three hour meeting. And what came out of that was a game plan that allowed us to be profitable by the end of 2020. Mm. Right. And if I had tried to do that on my own, which is kind of my default, there's no way we would have had the results that we had. But now in that though, there was things, you know, my team was like, John, you have to stop doing this, this, and this. It was those operational things, Richard, even though I can do them and I'm actually good at them. How do you figure out the roles and the role clarity for maybe where you're at or, you know, people listening, who's that person they need to maybe add into their team? And it could be a VA. I tell you this, one of the guys who's in my mastermind group, as we talked, he realized that the operational piece was just missing and he's not good at it. And he just hired somebody, it was a big investment, part-time, it's uh, uh, 30 hours a week, but somebody who is uh, his operational specialist. And he said, it's been an absolute game changer. But when I'm thinking about this, um, how do I think about it? Uh, how did you think about it from a place of roles and skills and how to work together and so forth? Yeah. So I always say there's like the philosophy side to this, and then there's the strategy side. So from a philosophy standpoint, the first thing you have to understand is, um, you know, who you are as a founder CEO. And, and I would say that for everybody listening, who is the CEO of their company, meaning you are at the top of the chain of command, so to speak, and you're also the founder, meaning you started it, you were there when it got started. You are in a unique position, which means that typically you're someone, at least the group I'm speaking to, who is wired to create and build new things. And you are simultaneously the person in the organization who is responsible to maintain, grow, and scale that thing as a CEO. And those are distinct, right? Those are actually distinct, but they're meshed together in this thing we call founder CEO or business owner in many cases. So from a philosophy standpoint, I think that your company will reach a certain point, and this varies based on the type of company you are and the type of entrepreneur you are, but you will reach a point where you become the bottleneck. You will reach a point where your skills and abilities no longer match the needs of your company. And you have a critical decision to make in that moment about who you're going to be. On one side of that is what I like to call chief everything officer. And this is, this is an identity that a lot of entrepreneurs fall into by no intention of their own. They just decide that somebody's got to do it. And if it's not me, how will I know it gets done? And so they literally run around putting out fires managing team members, trying to hit marketing goals, trying to focus on the future and manage the day-to-day all at the same time. And as you put earlier, John, and I'd love to hear your experience on this, a lot of times it leads to burnout, it leads to unsatisfactory results, or it leads to a quality of life uh, and an impact on your relationships that has severe consequences in in, in, in the long term, right? Playing chief everything officer is no fun for anyone. But a lot of entrepreneurs, they don't know any other way. It's the only thing they know, and they've adopted that identity by accident. The other route and the other identity you can choose to step into is as a growth-focused CEO. And a growth-focused CEO is very intentional 
about saying, I have strengths, but I also have weaknesses. And therefore, I am going to figure out how to focus on my strengths and delegate my constraints. I'm not going to play chief everything officer. I am going to find the, as you said, the missing link to actually get my company's needs met without myself becoming the bottleneck or the, you know, the problem in the process. So that's the philosophy side. Now there's a strategy side to, to how you fix that problem that I'd love to talk about, but I'd love to hear your feedback on that, John, based on your unique experience with this as well. In all those areas that you talked about, especially when, when you truly are a solopreneur getting started, you do have to do all that stuff. But it there comes a point when it totally bottlenecks your success. And if you're so busy doing all this stuff, something's going to fall off, whether it's just having one-on-ones with your team on having the time to maintain the culture and then answer all your emails and then have sales meetings and then work with the clients that you've brought on board, right? That's creating revenue. And then as that picks up, all of a sudden you're like, I don't have time for all this stuff. And then, so what I found myself doing is at seven, eight, nine, 10 o'clock at night, every night I'm sitting on my couch with something uh, in the background, like a cooking show or something on my laptop. And what I realized was, and I did the same thing, whether it was a, my startup beyond influence to working at a big company is that because of how I had crafted my role and responsibilities, I was the go-to guy for everything. And in that, I was like the shell answer man. And when you become the shell answer man, you don't ever get to have a break. And here's the other thing too, is when you do this, you create this dependency with your team and they're not empowered. Because if they know they got to go to John to get final approval, even on an email, or whatever it happens to be, or how we're going to price this or a proposal or how we're going to engage with a certain client and everything has to come through me. Think about this too. If I know John has the answer and if I don't you know, have the same answer he has, he might not be happy. All of a sudden they're not going to be growing. So you're also stunting. And so here's what we did. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, but I recently, uh, one of my clients who I've been coaching for quite a while, asked me to come and be the president of his company, which I've said yes to. And this is the first thing that we did, Richard. We said, as he's the CEO and I'm the president, we needed very clear roles and responsibilities. And here's what he is good at. He is great at being the visionary. We do impact and kingdom investing, and we're doing some really cool things. So he should be talking to potential clients, casting the vision, and creating and and, uh, managing the investments that we're doing. So he needs to, you know, maintain the purpose and the what and the why of the firm, those big relationships and be the co-face of the firm with me. He is really good at high level problem solving. Mm. He's really good at strategic partnerships. Okay. What's my goal? It's to lead, manage, and create accountability with the team. It is to develop and maintain the culture. It is to be a a tactical problem solver and take everything that's going to help the firm and help my team, because now I have a number of direct reports, execute. 
right? My other goal that's stated is to remove obstacles and barriers to each individual and the team's success and then mm. any special projects. So you can see now we have a clear delineation. Now, all of that list that I just put together is what Eric was doing before I joined. And now he's freed up. You know what we did? We actually, one of the first things I did when I came in, I did a time study of his calendar hmm. as he's trying to do all this. Do you know what percentage of time he had to have client facing meetings that Less was in his calendar was 15%. 15%. One five. And I said, okay, in a minimum, our goal is to take everything off your plate because 50% minimum has to be in that area. 70 would be ideal, mm. right? And so we've been able to get to 50 and now we're on the way up. And now I take a third of my time and I'm joining him on those and with those. But all of a sudden, the momentum that's been created has been fantastic. And that's, now, and, and that's But I also thing. want to wind back though, too, because when I was building my coaching business at Beyond Influence and I was constantly complaining about this and this time crunch you're talking about, and the coach I was working with, I think it's so important to have a coach. And she's like, how come you don't have a VA? I'm like, I don't know what I'd give a VA. That's, you know, that's, <laughs> that was honestly my first reaction. So I did my own time study, Richard. I said, what are all the things I'm doing? I went back over the last three months and I'm like, oh my goodness, there's 20 hours a week of stuff that is not the best and highest use of my time. So I hired a VA, it was a big investment. I wish I had done it years earlier. It would have accelerated my growth massively. And within a month, I asked her to be full-time mm. because I realized there's so much I could have her do. And there was stuff that just wasn't being done because there was no time, like a research project, a marketing study, you know, a deep dive into maybe keywords. If we're going to do an email campaign, all these things that were nice to haves, but not even an option when my plate was so full. You know, you just did such a fantastic job, John, both defining both ends of the spectrum, right? Painting a picture for people of what this second in command role can look like and how it can support scale in a much smaller company and a much larger company. So I just want to walk back through because I think what you just said is gold for our listeners, right? Many times in a smaller company, let's say, you know, five to 25 employees, right? A lot of times, people don't realize they're a lot less aware of the need for a second in command who specializes in operations and administration. And what I tell people is when I oftentimes see that fail, it's because they hire someone and they think of it more as like, well, I'm just going to give this person tasks. No, you actually need somebody who is your right hand, right? You need someone even at that size of company who is your right hand. Now they may not oversee the company holistically at every level, but it's two people doing one job. It's an executive administrator is the term I like to use. I don't even like to use the term assistant just because it has some connotations sometimes. It's an executive administrator, somebody who can bring order to chaos, somebody who can manage, <clears throat> somebody who can um, a lot of times help you with, as you said, just things that are not the highest and best use of your time and can be a filter many times between you and all the noise of the business that you can actually focus on growth. In a smaller company, gosh, I've seen literally companies double or triple within six months with that one key missing link of that second in command role. It's absolutely astonishing. On the other end of the spectrum, this much larger company, now you're coming in and playing this strategic 
president role for a much larger company. What I've seen very, very often in that case is those companies, their growth rate may not be as explosive, but they start to see momentum. They see improvement in margin. Sometimes they see explosive growth or sometimes the founder actually is freed up to go and start something new, <laughs> um, which may or may not be on your guys' radar, or at least pioneer or innovate a new product or a new service or a new division, you know, Steve Jobs style. So whatever end of the spectrum you're on, there's actually about four levels of second in commands we've found that correspond to different levels of a company's scale. Whatever level you're on, I, I think just understanding the power to support you as the CEO in scaling without burnout and a total lack of time freedom is absolutely paramount. Over the past few decades, much has been said and written about leadership, but I don't think enough has been said or written about followership. I believe great leaders are also great followers. So whether you're leading an organization or just leading within the context of your home, following Jesus impacts every aspect of your life. I'm Kevin East, the CEO of Mentoring Alliance, as well as a dad of five. And I invite you to check out my podcast, Following to Lead, where you're here from business leaders, pastors, authors, speakers, and parents about how following Jesus shapes and guides our lives and how it can impact yours. Check out Following to Lead in your favorite podcast app. So for yourself, what were the specific changes? You, were, you, were you in that place? I mean, you had these dumpster fires everywhere, right? <laughs> How did you move forward through that? Because I can just pick, as a matter of fact, you, you know, people have even called me recently, right? It's a very similar situation. Like it almost feels like, like the next step forward in all these areas, uh, like you're solving all these complex problems. Talk about how you move forward and how you brought maybe your faith into trying to solve some of these problems. Well, so how I moved forward was through my faith. I don't know that I would have had the strength to move forward without that. And, and I remember one of the specific things that the Lord spoke to me in that season was when I went and curled up in that corner in my office, the Lord had me designate that corner of my office as my meeting place with him. And it was literally, he, you know, he said to me, he's like, Hey, if you come meet with me every day over here, I'll show you how to get out of this. That was one of his promises to me. <laughs> and by that point, I was like willing to try whatever. Cause I knew what my effort had gotten us into this hole. And I knew that I wasn't going to just dig my way out with more of the same. And so I held true to that promise. I literally remember, I'm not saying I did it perfectly every day, but I remember every day before I would work, I would go and meet with the Lord in that uh, I came to, I came to call it my tent of meeting modeled after Moses, Moses' mm. life, where it was like, it was a place of refuge from the storm, but also a place of strategic insight for my business that the Lord would give me. So I would literally sit and read scripture and pray and ideas would come to me. Um, solutions would come to me. Things would come to me that I knew were from the Lord to fix the, 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 you know, the problem we were in, you know, I, I just a really tactical example. I remember we were, we were just uh, really in the red on one of these properties that, that we owned and we're, we're trying to redevelop and we just couldn't figure out kind of how we were going to solve something. And then I remember just sitting down with the Lord and I felt like he was like, well, why don't you, you know, why don't you invest some money into it and try to sell it? And I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. We're going to have to outlay more money, which again, cash flow is, was tight. We're gonna have to outlaw more money. And then who even knows if this will sell? Like it was, it, it kind of was, 
there was a lot of reasons why it might be troublesome to do that, but I just couldn't shake it. And I ended up, it, it wasn't ex as expensive as we thought to do some things. And we did some things and we strategically filled it and we put it on the market. And I remember we sold it within a very, very short amount of time, way above what we initially estimated we would have been able to sell it for. It was a right, it was literally just the right time, right? In the market with how supply and demand work, it was just the right time. And that was literally just acting in obedience to something that came from the Lord in my tented meeting that I, initially, if I would have just waited through human reasoning, I would have gone, well, no, that doesn't make sense. But it was, it was the perfect insight for what our business needed in that season. And so, and I could tell you at least five more of those stories of just ways that because A, I was actually sitting in the CEO seat, which meant I was thinking and working on my business. And B, because I was actually partnering with God in that seat, we were able to navigate out and actually get back into the black. And, and, uh, and I ended up selling my shares in that, in that company to my partner shortly thereafter within about eight months. Yeah. And I, everybody listening, um, Richard, what you did is you just talked about, you know, people wonder, Hey, how do I bring my faith into the work? How do I really partner with God in leading a company, working with people, solving problems. And you know what? That time to just sit and pray and think. And something that's become a habit of mine, Richard, and, and it's incredible insight. So there's two things, kind of, I guess, bigger picture and then day to day. So the first one is I have a thinking chair and I sit mm -hmm. over there. I turn off my computer, no iPad. Yours is right over there. And I yeah. now, cause I'm like, I, I'm not a paper writing guy. I've mm -hmm. never been a journaler. And a friend of mine, Tommy Breedlove challenged me about six months ago. He goes, John, just sit and think with a pen and a piece of paper and sit in prayer. And I got to tell you, I have journals now filled. And I, and that's what I'm writing down. Like, here's my problem. I start writing it out and I look at scripture and then all of a sudden I get insights. And now the other thing too, is every time I have to make a decision at work, our, me and uh, the team, our, our catch word is pause and pray. Hmm. Like, we're, we're, like we, we have like simple things. Like we have to sign a, a new lease. We're subleasing right now. And our commercial broker had put in a whole bunch of different options and we toured some and I'm looking at all the numbers. This is a big commitment. It's a five-year lease. And I'm like, is this the right thing? Is this the right time? How do I do this? And I'm like, oh, pause and pray. Dear Lord, you know this. You know the perfect answer for this team. You know what this company looks like in five years. What's the answer? And I got to tell you, like, as soon as I did that, it was like one of the papers, this one property like stood out to me almost like it was three-dimensional but nothing changed and i pulled it and looked at it went through all the numbers and it was not my first choice and that's the one we're going with and the more we get into the process the more i realize this is absolutely the perfect space the perfect pricing so many elements of it so you know whether it's like okay i'm about to go into a sales meeting hey pause and pray mm. Hey, I'm about to lead a meeting with my team, pause and pray. And I think if, when we make that a habit and we make sitting down and just spending time with God, like you did to partner with him and, and talk about, Hey, what's that next step I need to be taking as a leader? Who is that person? Maybe I need to hire. I'll guarantee you that, you know what? You're still going to make mistakes because we all do, but God is right there with you walking through all of it. Mm. 
So true. Yeah. And I, I think, I think for anyone listening, just that advice is so, so good, which is the daily, I think a scriptural principle that you see over and over is the first belongs to God. And I don't think that's any more anywhere relevant more than it is in our time. And I just would challenge every leader. It's like every leader who is eternal minded, right? Eternally minded. It's like, how can you put, you know, the question is maybe not how to put him into what you're doing. The question is how to put him first, Mm. right? Just how, how to prioritize the first and best of your time to the Lord. Because I guarantee you, if you give him the first, he will bless the rest in a way that multiplies the effectiveness of everything else. No, I agree. Okay, so that is a huge point for everybody. But here's something else a little more tactical to ask you about. Since we're talking about an operations counterpart, and I've hired some people in the past that have just been phenomenal and some other people that just didn't work out very well. And that almost kind of sets you back. And I think sometimes just the investment in hiring somebody, do I get the right person? How do I make sure that they really match, you know, our strengths are complementary? How have you done that? Yeah. So we actually have over the course of working with 200 plus entrepreneurs and business owners, founder CEOs, we've pioneered a process specifically for finding and empowering a second in command. And there's really, it's very simple uh, and none of it is even revolutionary or groundbreaking, but just because something is common sense doesn't mean it's common practice. And any missing any one of these steps absolutely can lead to setbacks and, and flaws in the outcome that you get. So the first step that we talk about with clients, and again, this has been refined over a lot, lot of time and a lot of people, is first of all, to define Step one is define. You would not believe how many people decide, you know what, I need a second in command. I need some support in scaling this company. And immediately they jump to what's the job description and how do we post the role and start interviewing? And it's like, okay, we skipped a step. Before we find, we must define. And defining looks like, honestly, John, something you just said was so, so important, which is actually looking at yourself looking at where your time is being spent, looking at your strengths and weaknesses and objectively identifying who is the counterpart to you, who is the yin to your entrepreneurial yang. Um, There's three dimensions to this that we talk about, right? When it comes to defining, it's defining your identity as a company and as an entrepreneur or founder CEO. So you know what you're looking for in the counterpart. Uh, There's your personality, understanding your personality and the personality dynamics of who you're looking for. And then there's competency. What competencies do you have and what competencies must this person possess to not only mesh well with you, but actually be able to help your company get where it needs to go to its goals. And so the first step in that process is to define, you must define who that is. The second one is to find them. So once we have a clear vision for who we're trying to get, we now become laser focused in looking for that exact person. And what I usually tell people is, you know, there's in the fine stage, there's really a couple of things you need to consider. The first one is the worst thing you can do as an entrepreneur is post a job. The reason for that is because you are competing against companies that have better payroll, uh, better prestige, 
better benefits than you, you are almost guaranteed to get B and C players if you are going to post a job like everybody else is doing. Instead, what you must do is become a master recruiting for your growth opportunity as a company. We call this opportunity recruiting, and it's something we do with, we teach clients, which is how to leverage their vision as their greatest weapon in attracting top talent that you would not be able to access otherwise. And I'll try to do this quick, but I can tell you after literally working with thousands of top talent, the best people on the planet to work in your entrepreneurial company are only concerned with three things. They usually, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, they usually have their basic needs met. They usually have their aesthetic needs met, okay? The things they are looking for are the top three levels. They're looking for belonging, a culture and a team that they resonate with and love. They're looking for self-actualization, meaning they wanna become the best version of themselves possible. And they are looking for transcendence, meaning they wanna make a difference and an impact that is bigger than them, a legacy that they can leave behind. So when you think about recruiting and finding the person that you are looking for, you need to attack this recruiting process through the lens of your entrepreneurial vision to meet those three needs. And you'll be surprised if you do the caliber of talent you can attract, even at maybe a lower price point than you can offer competitively to a larger corporation. If you do that, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who are some of the best second in command talent on the planet. And they say, I'm not, the money is secondary to me. The money is secondary to me. What matters to me is the impact is whether I fit into the culture, is whether I resonate with the vision and whether I can become the version of myself that I want to see here. That doesn't mean compensation doesn't matter. And in fact, one of the greatest things you can do as an entrepreneur is offer profit sharing and performance-based bonuses, which is an art and a science in and of itself. But you have to focus on opportunity recruiting, not posting a job. So I'll I'll pause there for a second because there's a lot. Well, everything you said there is absolutely spot on. Yeah. I would encourage people to go back and re-listen to that part, or you can also go to unleashed.ceo. Remember, Richard's process is to go from being that chief everything officer, like I described in the past, to being actually unleashed and working completely in your strengths and have a just a, a, a thriving team. And I, I would also say that, you know, another element is, you know, uh, that second in command, they're willing to have a very reasonable salary, not at the top end of the range for maybe that position. If they also know that they can participate monetarily on the success that they, uh, that's in their heart to create. Exactly. And you get those things aligned. Like, you know what? I think most people want to say, you know what? I'll take an average salary. If I know the upside is going to be completely tied to what I do. I want people, I I would want somebody on my team. That's like, yeah, I'm betting on myself. And I'm betting on, and I'm betting on the team and I'm betting on the fact that I can help this entire team succeed. And if I don't do that, then I shouldn't get paid. That's always been my philosophy. That's one of the, and and the, the highest caliber of second in command talent on the planet thinks that way. And so it's actually to your detriment sometimes to, to compete on salary the other way, because the reality is if somebody comes to your company for a little more money, that's the exact same reason they'll leave. Oh, hundred percent. Boy, that happens all the time. Well, like, here's a great example, just of a team like this. My son is in a team like you're describing it. it, He got a job at a company and I know the leadership at this company and he got offered a recruiter called him because his, his skill set 
is in demand right now with what he does. And it was a $20,000 year pay raise to walk across the street. And he called me up and says, dad, I, what do I do here? I, I, I don't want to like walk across the street. I'm like, well, why don't you go to your boss and let him know that you didn't take the meeting and here's why, but they're offering me $20,000 more. And that's what he did. And we coached on how to do that. Cause he was, you know, he's 23 but he loved his team. He loved the vision. He loved the people that he worked with. He loved how his boss was constantly challenging him, empowering and equipping him. And so he went to his boss and said, Hey, listen, we can't do 20, but we could do 15. Would that work for you? And he said, yeah, done. And you know what? That even further cemented their relationship. So you want to have a culture also the byproducts of this, what Richard's also talking about is instead of those people leaving, you know, for a great offer, right? They're coming to you and saying, hey, I don't want to go. Mm-hmm. But it's hard right. for me to turn down this money because, you know, I don't make a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, anyway, uh, so Richard, Unleashed CEO, how, uh, dot, Unleashed dot CEO, how else do people get in touch with you? Yeah, so we have a, a podcast as well. So if you want to search Becoming Unleashed, uh, we really teach in about 20 minutes each week proven tools and strategies to free up your time and focus on growth more as a CEO. So you can check us out there. We also have a YouTube channel as well. And uh, honestly, the the website is probably the best place to go, unleash.ceo. We have tons of free tools and resources there to empower you kind of on your journey to finding a second in command who can execute your vision. Love that. And I love your, you know, if you guys want to, you know, work with Richard, you can connect with him there because I love your promise how to free up 30 hours a week by focusing on what we're talking about here. But, you know, we talked a lot about the why and the what, but you know what, you're, this isn't long enough to get into all of the how to do it. And I tell you, doing it on my own took me literally years and years. And I know that things would have been in a very different place had I approached solving this problem specifically earlier. Um, in building a business. So Richard, uh, just as we land the plane, any just final thoughts? No, the last thought for my seat is just, I would just challenge every entrepreneur, business owner, and founder, CEO listening that as a nation, we are counting on you to drive economic growth and provide jobs and make the future better. That is your role as an entrepreneur. It's your silent duty and it's part of your God-given calling. And the only way it is possible for you to continually and consistently do that and fulfill that calling is if you empower others around you. And I think this second in command role is absolutely critical to also building a workplace that people love to show up to every day. So uh, whether you work with us, whether you have someone in-house internally, whether you work with someone else, I just would challenge you, don't stay playing chief everything officer. There's too much at stake. Your family, your business, your future, and the future of many others depend on you shifting that identity and uh, and stepping into your calling powerfully. Wow, great stuff. Richard, thank you so much for the work you're doing and for coming on today. And I look forward to our next conversation, my man. Thanks for having me, John. It was a pleasure.